0: Father, we do thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And we, we know that, um, that you are so good and that you love us and that your heart for us is, is always uh, what's best. And so we desire to seek after that, desire to understand and know you more and to ask ourselves the question about what does that look like and how do we apply that? even when it comes to difficult topics, for ourselves, for our friends, for our our culture and community, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, so my understanding is that you all have been studying the Sermon on the Mount, that's that's the nature of the study, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I guess my thought here, and my, my preferred sort of teaching style is a little more conversational, so my my objective here is not to do like a thirty minute presentation on this passage or anything of that nature. I would love for this to be a conversation between us that I'm just a part of and and get your insights and input and thoughts on it and um, and share as as what I see and and yeah so and and ask questions and just have a open dialogue here so but as you have. One of the things I always think about as it relates to Matthew 5 and 6 and thinking about the Sermon on the Mount is that we have to we have to interpret it or understand it in light of what Jesus is teaching us as a whole here. Why? What are the major themes in the Sermon on the Mount that he's getting at from the outset? So as you have started this study, are there things that have stood out to you all that you that that? highlight what Jesus is, is going after here. Or if you want to say maybe like the central message behind the Sermon on the Mount, what he's trying to teach or illustrate or... Because I think that's pertinent to our conversation as it relates to these verses on divorce and other things. Anything that has stood out or, or seemed like a, a major theme in these verses to you? Not in these specific verses, Righteous but... Righteous living. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. How, to, how to live righteously. Mm-hmm.
2: And c- countercultural.
0: hmm Yeah, counterculture. I think... Yeah. What do you mean by that?
2: Just that what he's asking... The way he's asking us to live is different than what the world says to do.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that is one of the the central themes. So I would almost... I would almost define it as it's almost like Jesus is is countering kingdom life or the kingdom of God or the life that he desires for us versus the reality of what they're experiencing so a lot of times as you guys read through this you'll hear him say phrases like you've heard it said or this is the way it is here's how things are but but I'm going to tell you something different even I think that gets highlighted here in these verses like you've You've heard, and this is kind of how it is, and these are the things, but let me, let me paint an alternative or a desired picture that is a reflection of God's design and his purpose and how the things are going to be. So he's really going after kind of the heart of the matter. So he'll expose things that are the action or the habit, but he'll say, but what I'm after is, is the heart. He does that with um, like murder and hate. I don't know if i have gotten, I can't remember where that, but he talks about like, you know, we all know, don't kill anybody. See, but if you're hating somebody in your heart, that's, that's the issue. We got to deal with that. We have to address that in, in kingdom life. We want to start there. Um, and so he, he comes at a, a difficult topic, but it was an extremely relevant topic in the day and age that, that um, in first century, Jewish life Um, so verse 31 and 32 it says it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery so let's take a few minutes to unpack that a little bit What, what what do you guys see when, when you look at this, um, can I just ask you one, is anyone in here divorced in your history? Because we can't talk about these things. But I've been married years ago. Yeah, okay. i married to my husband Yeah, year. these are real, I mean, most of us have had divorce affect us in our family, okay. personally. I mean, we can't talk about these things like it's an abstract idea and doesn't affect our daily lives and our relationships and all of that sort of thing. These are, these are real topics and real people. So we have to be really careful that we don't separate and sort of like approach this stuff, like this philosophical and, 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 and separate it from real people and real experiences and real situations. And so, um, and, and and whether that's been an immediate impact to us or to people that we love, um, and around us. And so, I think it's important to approach that with that understanding. But what do you guys see as, here in the text, what is Jesus saying in, in your first glance?
2: It's okay to get divorced,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but only on the grounds of sexual immorality. Yeah. And that's it. What does that mean, though, sexual immorality?
0: That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> the word, the Greek word there is, is pornea which is where we get our word, like, pornography. Oh,
2: okay.
0: Um, and so, the, oh, okay. The, yeah, so that's the word that's translated sexual immorality, and it would mean, essentially, so this is good because this gets us in. We have to talk about this in terms of what God's design and intention in marriage was. So God's design and intention is is a covenant relationship where the two shall become one flesh. It goes all the way back to Genesis, um, and and sexual immorality or pornea in all its forms devastates that. It it, it breaks that union. Um, this is some, meant to be a a. Uh, There's an exclusivity to what God has created in marriage between a man and a wife. And when that exclusivity is disrupted or broken, then what Jesus is telling us here, then then that has created such a a devastation to what God has created, what God has intended, that that person then is, is able to get a divorce and to remarry. But what's important for us to understand is Jesus is speaking into a culture where Divorce was rampant. So he's he's talking to Jewish followers and there are all sorts of um, so the Torah in the Old Testament gives parameters like Moses gave the people a instructions about divorce and about how it should happen. There's a, a book, an Old Testament, not, it's not an Old Testament book, but almost like a commentary on the Old Testament from ancient Jewish rabbis and that sort of thing that, that called the Mishnah. And that would, was almost like a commentary, their interpretation of what was in the Torah or the first five books of the Bible and how to apply that. And so on the one hand, there were people who had a very um, conservative view. Of, of it, and it was like, well, no, it's really exclusive towards situations that sexual immorality is involved, and and um, and so that would be the only legitimate reason for divorce. Other rabbis really translated it far more liberally and said, uh, like, literally, I think there's a quote somewhere in the Mishnah that talks about if she bakes a bad dish. <laughs> that would be grounds for divorce, or another rabbi yeah yeah who who basically said something to the effect of if you find someone more fair, um, you know that would be grounds for divorce so Jesus, so divorce has become extremely rampant in the culture, and you have to realize too that for a woman in that culture, you are more or less dependent upon your husband for your security in your uh, in order to be um, provided for Um, that was how women survived at the time and so divorce is rampant in order for a woman to survive her really only option most of the time was then to go get remarried in order to have somebody meet her needs or to move back in with her family which would have been more rare at the time. So Jesus is addressing a specific issue in a specific time and he's saying that's not that's not the kingdom purpose. The kingdom purpose in this is this is a covenant relationship. Um, sacred. Like God designed this from the very outset of creation and so for us to break that which God has put together for reasons that like somebody cooked a bad dish or you found somebody that you think is more attractive, you're missing on what God's design and, and purpose and attention. If you have, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. So that's going to be in the, where you are in Matthew, you're going to go towards the end of the Bible? About, yeah, so you get into that section, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, And it goes Philippians, Colossians. I always remember it. Go eat popcorn. Popcorn. Yeah, (laughs) Galatians, (laughs) Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul is going to actually say something here that I think speaks to God's intention and purpose and design. Ephesians, did I say Philippians? It's Ephesians. I can't remember. It's Ephesians chapter 5. I can't even remember
1: that.
0: Ephesians. Ephesians what?
1: Ephesians wow. overcome by all the beauty in the room.
0: That's right. <laughs> There's a verse for that too. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. Ephesians. <laughs> chapter 5. Paul is talking here about the husband and wife relationship, and this is actually somewhat of a, This is a a conversation for another day, because this is um, a a passage that uses the word about wives submit to your husbands. um, And I would argue has been misinterpreted. And and actually, the passage starts with a phrase that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it starts at a platform that begins with mutual submission, respect. Then it talks about wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you really have to break? People that have used this as an a, uh, argument for men dominating women are misapplying what Paul is saying here um, and misunderstanding it. Yeah. Anyways, that's a conversation for... But, but Paul is, is talking about the nature of the husband and wife relationship. Um, and then down at verse 31 it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so he's gonna he's gonna restate and verify what Christ has said and also what was said back from the very beginning in Genesis and he says This is a mystery profound, and I am saying here that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is saying here that that God's desire and intention for our marriages is that there's something so Profound about the kind of love that is to be experienced in the context of that relationship that it's that it is a almost like an evangelistic aspect to it that people can see a really good Christian marriage and say there's something there that points to something greater and that something greater is the way that God loves us like when we're doing this right the, the, you know his design and his purpose is that there's something here that is so powerful and, and perhaps uncommon, not, not the norm, that people would look at that and say, there's something there that I want. What is that? Well, let me tell you about how God loves you. Also, God, when he's talking about his relationship to us, which is also evident here in Ephesians 5, is going to use the illustration of Christ and his church. He's going to use the illustration of, of a husband and a wife relationship. He'll talk about the church as his bride. You and I. Yeah.
2: It's interesting that you say that. Um, how a good Christian marriage people notice it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it happened with my husband and I last week when we were looking we we're building a house and we were looking for, you know, stone. Yeah. And at the end the the lady says to us, Wow, it's so refreshing to see you two are so like nice to each other and yeah. you know, just think, she gave us a really nice compliment. Because the couple before you, they were like, "Oh, how could you be married to that woman? She was so mean," you know. Right. And, right. And my husband, so well, because my husband has a very strong faith life and he's a Christian man, and he he said it was God, and you know, yeah. he was talking to her about Jesus and God. And, that's a it's a perfect she was example. Just and then and then we caught the attention of the other people, and they were all just listening. And <laughs> kind of mean, you
0: know. Yeah. And what they saw, what started that conversation, yes. was two people treating each other kindly, With speaking. Respect, yeah.
2: Talking nice other right. Compared to
1: you know the
0: right. people that were there. So,
2: right. But you're right. People do notice. And then my husband and I were talking about it on the way home about how people notice love for you know when you love each other and how it's you know like you could just tell.
0: Right. That it's. God's That's unique. It's God's God's present God's in that. Percent. Yeah. I love the way uh, Ephesians describes that i use that almost every wedding that i officiate i'm like you know understand that when you're doing this right and you're doing this well there's something so powerful in it Mm -hmm. that other people are going to see it and it's going to point them to jesus like that's that's a cool thing um so so what jesus is getting after here is instructing us that in the nature of a covenant relationship which marriage is it's defined that way in the Old Testament. It's reiterated in the New Testament. When we when we break that covenant lightly, then we're, we're harming that which God has intended. We're living according to this world instead of according to his kingdom values. I think this is important because at the same time, Jesus describes... What God has come to do with us, especially in the Old Testament, like when you look in Genesis 12 and when God is calling out Abraham and, and Genesis 15, when he's making a covenant with him, he defines the relationship that he builds with us based on the covenant that he has created with us. And so a, a, in Genesis, when he builds, when he makes his covenant with Abraham, it, it's so he, this is a bit gruesome. But there's actually like, in order to sh- do, what they call cut a covenant in that day and age. They would slaughter animals and lay their carcasses, and and God walked through these slaughtered animals. So essentially, this was like a uh, with kings, and then when you would make a covenant with kings, like they would they would do this ritual. So you're essentially saying, if if I break this covenant, may it, may. It be to me as it was to these animals. Like that was the, the degree to which they went in order to express their commitment and vow. That's not how a wedding went. I'm just saying that's the nature of a covenant, really. The weddings would have been a whole different affair. I mean, that was, yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody, brace yourself. Um, so Jesus is wanting to address here this, this culture. And I think in many ways here, he's putting a lot of emphasis. Again, we're living in, there's a very patriarchal culture because he's speaking in many ways to men here and saying, if you have it in your mind to dismiss your wife for some easy reason, you're missing the point of what marriage is and you're missing the point of what we've designed. Because he even says here, if you notice, he says, but I say to everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality, he says it makes her commit adultery so he's putting the blame he's a like, you're you're forcing her into a situation where she's going to go need to remarry in order to survive like this is this is on you he's speaking to the men and he's addressing this culture that that is is made divorce easy and simple and not entirely unlike right now. yeah a culture that 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 we live in and i think what we're missing sometimes so complicated and so hard because these are people's real lives and you're trying to but but i think what we sometimes neglect is we we teach on divorce and we we try to instruct and help people but perhaps what we need to do is put more time and energy around teaching on what marriage is and the nature of the husband and wife relationship, and how do we do this well, and what does it mean to love each other unconditionally, and and what does it mean because we can, you know, we can say like, oh, I'm, I'm, we grew out of love, you know, well, uh, grow back into it, you know, <laughs> like what, what, what does that mean, and how do we, we've created it opportunistic for us to disrupt something that God has con- intended and designed to be a picture of his love for us and, and powerful in real ways that, that should not be easily dismissed
3: um, I have a question well, this translation says sexual immorality but mine says marital unfaithfulness mm-hmm. so when I read it, I just think unfaithfulness. So that's the only reason that's valid to a divorce. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, if I divorce my husband because he's annoying, right? <laughs> Hypothetically, right. <yes. laughs> well, hypothetical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. right? If I
3: go and remarry somebody, then I have committed adultery. That that that, you know, a, that, a, that
0: I, yeah. I, I think what the implication of the text is, is when we divorce out of reasons other than, so this is interesting because we're talking about divorce, but we're also talking about remarriage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When, when we get divorced for re- reasons other than whatever qualifies as pornea, which is sexual immorality, marital, anything that's outside of sex in the marriage relationship, I think qualifies as as sexual immorality, um, and and so what what if we were to divorce someone because they're annoying? Then we have broken that covenant. We enter into a relationship. What God is telling us, or Jesus is instructing us here, is saying you, you you've given up on something that has not yet, and so you have entered into a new relationship now, and that is unfaithful. Now. That being said I think that somebody that's in a second marriage and maybe their first marriage didn't end because of infidelity they they're not living in an ongoing adulterous relationship the marriage at its outset there would be reason to confess and say okay god like I this my first marriage didn't end for reasons that and maybe there was opportunity to to um, restore that or, or to heal that and we can confess that and we can give that over to God but, we're, but I don't think scripture is teaching us hey you should, you should actually end this second marriage and go back and try to restore things with your first marriage and I think the instruction would be do marriage as well as you can now in the second marriage understanding what you now understand um, does that make sense
3: does, but I mean, let's say if I was single and I meet somebody that's divorced, Mm -hmm. do I say, okay, how did it end? Say, well, we just didn't get along, so I shouldn't pursue this person because that would make him commit adultery.
0: I think that in a situation like that, I think what Jesus is instructing us is that the loving thing to do for that person would be to say to him, like, you are a great person, and I'm sorry your first marriage didn't end well, but I don't feel like I could enter into a relationship faithfully with you. Now, if his previous wife has moved on or has had, even after the divorce, other relationships, other sexual relationships, that then again, there's infidelity that's taking place. But if his previous wife is still single... And there is the opportunity for that marriage to be restored because they got divorced because they annoyed each other. Um, I think it would probably be a mistake on our part to end the possibility of that restoration. Which is a hard, it's hard guys. This is not um, easy for us to to do. But the, the sacredness of what God has created in marriage is so important that protecting that is is at the highest value how do we restore that now I would also argue that we see other places in scripture um, that that in in first Corinthians I think chapter seven it's talking about it's really using a situation which was new at the time where it was talking about relationships between a husband and a wife where one was a Christian and one was not a Christian. Because that was new. Where a situation where somebody, there were two, a Jewish couple, and now one has come to hear the message of Jesus and believes in Jesus, and the other one is still continuing in their, you know, doesn't believe that he's the Messiah. How to handle situations of like abandonment and that sort of thing, where they go, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Paul is going to speak towards that, um, I think when we talk about situations of abuse, um, that it, it, we're not arguing that a wife should stay in an abusive relationship.
3: Even though Um, it says on here, only in the case of marital unfaithfulness. Yeah, so,
0: from a pastoral perspective, first of all, if there's an abusive relationship, the first priority is to get people in a protective situation. You're not, we don't want to put them... So we're not going to say to um, a man or a woman that comes in and say, Hey, is the, my spouse is abusing you. mean, a lot of the times it's it's the woman who is being abused. And say, well, you, you know, Scripture says you need to go work that out. You need to go home and get this figured out. And we could be potentially recommending that she goes into a very dangerous situation. We would never do that. Um, we would create situations to try to protect the woman we would try to examine and explore if there's potential for repentance and for this person to the the abuser to seek the sort of counseling and but we would create probably what we would say separation like get separated if this guy has no interest in and in, um changing his ways and doing the things that then I think that, that according to our church's policy on divorce, we would say that's a lit- legitimate reason for divorce. Now, where it gets complicated is if that if then the abused spouse desires to remarry. This is where, though, I think in the second passage in Matthew 19, um, somewhere in here, it's talking about it's talking about Moses giving them the certificate of divorce and, and, and how God had created a law because of what they were doing at the time and how women were being abandoned. So he says, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed, you know, he created a system for people to, for divorce. Um, oh, is it, it's later on in this passage in Matthew 19. Because he starts talking about singleness, and let's flip over there real quick in verses. Now, yeah, so this is following what we have on our paper in verse 10 and following. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? So they're saying, is it just better than not, not to marry at all? But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So Jesus is saying, For some... Singleness and celibacy is is he's saying that's not the norm and that's not what everybody is asked to do. But for some, that is their reality. I think that that we live in a culture that tells us that singleness and a life apart from sex is somehow a deprived and and um, a less life, a less fulfilled life. And I think what Jesus is telling us here is that that that's not we can experience loving relationships and community in outside of a marriage or a sexual relationship. Um, and so it, it's, it's, he's saying it's not for everybody, but there's some who that's the life that they have. And that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to be single. It's not bad to be celibate. Um, even though I think culturally we, sometimes pretend like something's wrong with that person. Um, sometimes in the church, we have inadvertently done things that communicate to the single person, some, you're less significant. You're, you know, or something went wrong. and, and Incomplete. Incomplete. Mm-hmm. And you're not. You're not incomplete. So part of our, our cultural sort of conversation around divorce and remarriage is Built on a falsehood that says, if, if I don't remarry and I don't have this relationship, I'm going to experience less of a life. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I think that actually goes into a lot of conversations about sexuality as, as a whole in our faith. Um, yeah. Can you address,
2: please, the role of a Christian? Uh, whose friend is perhaps cheating on his or her spouse? Uh, what's our, I think
1: this question came up. What, what is our role? Yeah. Are we to, um, one of the questions was, do we tell the person who's being betrayed?
2: Um, and yeah. second of all, do we
1: try to somehow steer that person? Or do we? Or in fact, are we supposed to just back away from that person? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Um.
1: <laughs> that's why we. Yeah, why we we yeah. yeah. We tripped over this one last week. And I think that
0: I do think it's it's very <laughs> difficult to speak into situations like this because the every situation is different. Like I don't think Scripture gives us a clear like when you have a friend that's cheating on their spouse. Here's what you should do one of the questions i would ask at the outset is is your friend is the person who is cheating a follower of jesus Mm -hmm. because i would my course of action with that person would perhaps be different than it was with my neighbor who doesn't have anything to do with jesus and is a friend Mm -hmm. and i might say to him like man what are you doing like you're you know you're going to wreck your life. And you're, have you thought this through? I might challenge him and I might, but if it, if it is somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, then I have the capacity to speak to them from a place of like truth that they say that they believe in and that they say that Jesus has given authority in their life. Now I can speak to it from a platform of saying, look, you have identified that Jesus is your King. So how can you reconcile making him your King and completely disregarding his command because that I can't. So there's a place for me to challenge that person differently than there is somebody who's has no faith in Jesus. Um, as it relates to, do I, do I tell the other persons, the person who is being cheated on that is that is, that's tough. And I think that's an individual case by case, relationship by relationship sort of situation um, that really depends on your relationship with those two people. And I would, my answer to that would be ask God for wisdom, Mm -hmm. ask God to give you, because I think there could be scenarios where that would be a huge mistake and not in our place or position to do and i think there could be huge positions where there could be situations where god has placed you in a relationship with these two people and and i mean if 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 i found out that my best friend's wife was cheating on him it would be it would be very difficult for me not to sit down with him and say man you need to know this because i love you because i love her because but that's a non answer? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well done. Yeah.
1: But yeah.
0: It, it really, I think, yeah. is a. So there's two questions. What's the nature of the relationship? And is the person who is cheating claimed to be a follower of Jesus? Because those would be two things I would ask myself in order to figure out how do I respond to this. Um,
2: What about saying um, that if your friend is doing that, that you should just not be friends anymore? Yeah, right. What
0: about that part? So that's a good question. Um, There are passages in scripture that talk about like dismissing the, the unrepentant brother, like Basically making them feel the weight of their, so, but again, these are somewhat exclusive cases. This is a person that claims to be a follower of Jesus. So if my, if this person doesn't claim to be a follower of Jesus, then, then I don't think it applies. I'm going to try to love that person as best as I can and say, don't, hey man, you're, you're messing up your life. And I, I would seriously consider making some new decisions because I think this doesn't end well for you. But if the person is a follower of Jesus, in and, and, uh, Matthew 18, we actually have some examples of how to address somebody or confront somebody. That's actually talking about a situation where there's been a, like a personal offense. Um, but you confront it on a one-to-one basis. And then you would take somebody with you to say, hey, again, man, I don't think you're seeing this right. And, you know, so maybe you and I would go and to this person and say, you you I think you're making a, a bad decision here. There are examples in the New Testament where if they just they're remaining unrepentant in their sin, where it says it says, you know, have nothing to do with that person. Again, I have seen that poorly applied in the history of of the church that I think has done more harm than good. At times I've seen situations where I think a church has sort of become, where they've made the story simple. And, and so they've put all the blame on one person or on one spouse. And, and actually there was a somewhat famous example of this. It's, it's typically referred to as church discipline. Like the church is saying, okay, you are living in unrepentance and you claim to be a follower of Jesus. You're living in unrepentant sin, and as such, we are going to formally designate that that until you decide to repent of your sin, that you can't be a part of of this community. Where I would separate that is what it, being a part of this community, saying we're not going to put you in a place of leadership, we're not going to put you in a place where you are uh, teaching scripture because you're ignoring scripture. Like there, there's a problem here that we can't, we're not going to put you in a place where we're going to put you up on the platform and have you leave people because you're, there's a overt hypocrisy in your life. And we are all sinners. We are all hypocrites at one level or another, but there's one area that you're just saying, it's okay for me to be a hypocrite in, in this area. And that's, that's not okay. There's just like, we want nothing to do with you. Like grace and, and, the call of the church meets people in their brokenness and seeks to restore and to redeem and to build back. So I would, I, you know, the way I would apply that more often than not is going to look like we're not going to put you in a place of, of leadership or put you in a place where we're asking you to teach God's word or put you in a place, but we're to, to, sever the relationship to the point and say like we want nothing to do with you I'm, I'm not sure that that's what scripture is going after although you read some of those passages and it sounds very much like that i mean it, it's hard that is a hard situation um
2: i guess it depends on how the friend is influencing you if if, if by what she's doing makes you look at your life and think you know, right. be, you know, this isn't so great. Right. That that would be, I guess.
0: Yeah, that would certainly be a factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Well, I think what that came up last week was because we were going through um, the reading about if your eyes causes you to sin, mm-hmm. gouge them out. Yeah. Hands cause you to sin, then you know, mm-hmm. and so we were thinking about bad influences in our lives mm-hmm. and that, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you stay away from alcohol. Right. So what if you had a bad friend? Right. Do you do the same? Yeah. You, you separate yourself from them
0: Right. So that, that you don't sin? Right, that's a good question. And I would say that the question that we have to ask ourselves in those types of situations is, am I able to be in this relationship and to be a positive influence on this person or does the nature of this relationship lead me to a place where I am doing things that are compromising my integrity and compromise because we see that Jesus spent time with you know he was he was sometimes um, rebuked by the religious culture of the day for spending time with sinners and he says I came to seek and save that that which is lost so he's not asking us to only have relationships with other Christians but the question that this is a common question that i've dealt with over the years with high school students and what we try to challenge them to think about is it is great to have friends that that don't know jesus and to be a positive influence and we're, we're not asking you to disconnect from everybody that is in your life who isn't a follower of jesus but if being with certain people in certain places puts you in a, in a situation to compromise that's not wise either and so you have to ask yourself, where is my, what's my capacity and when do I put myself in a situation that's going to cause me to sin? Because that's not going to point them to Jesus. That, that's going to say, well, you don't really believe what you're talking about anyways, you know?
1: It's, it's like, do you encourage them to get divorced because, you know, the guy is a schmuck? Or do you, you know, and pray for him, of course. Yeah. And, uh. I think that that is kind of part of the problem. Is how do you stand beside them? But you know, when when the uh, land is so squishy, mm-hmm. you know, underneath them, it's uh, you you can see their brokenness and you can see their hurt. Mm-hmm. And but how far do you take that? Yeah. And you know, it, it's and when you feel that they. Um Maybe on the wrong path themselves, right. and are trying to justify behavior that is not biblical right and yeah it's such a tricky area
0: yeah yeah it, it, it is such a tricky area, and we have to really ask God for wisdom, and I know that sometimes sounds like a cop out like when you know we feel like we don't know what we're talking about or whatever, but I, in my experience it's it's very true because in. Situations like abuse. I mean, it would be it would be so counter gospel to say to a woman like, "Well, no, Scripture teaches you. You know, you need to go yeah. take it like that." There's nothing, you know. In in the history of the church, there have been oh, yeah. Yeah. situations where that has been communicated, and that's sin and wrong. And and you know, we can talk about after the fact, you know, whether or not that person can remarry or not, and and Although it's, you know, in most of the examples that I find, a person of that nature who is an abuser that way, they, they quickly move on and commit infidelity. So the, the, the qualifiers typically aren't there. Like where it's, you know, it's, it's very rare to find this abusive man who then after the fact has remained faithful and waiting for his wife to come back. You know, um, I haven't come across that yet. But I suppose it could happen and then that would be, you know, a conversation that we'd have to wrestle through and say, how do we apply this and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So, But as a church, what we look at and say, what are legitimate reasons for divorce would be infidelity or sexual immorality or what that passage calls pornea, abandonment from what we're talking about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and then... Um, abuse or or neglect kind of situations. And again, all of those are are major violations of God's call to a husband or to a wife, to the covenant, to the vows that are are spoken.
3: I have another question that's kind of on the same subject, but a little bit going off a different direction. What about marriage after being widowed?
0: Yeah. Um and
3: then my question goes a little further, like
0: mm-hmm.
3: ever always growing up, you know, and my when my grandfather died, my grandma was like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna Jesus is gonna be you'll be with Jesus until I hold your hand again. Right. So what about people that end up with like two marriages where they love two people, like when they get to heaven, like I don't know, I'm just like, Who are they with then? And yeah. You know, so it's kind of but good, nobody really good knows. Question. But i love yeah. to hear your impression. Yeah. They die yeah, not married anymore.
0: Yeah. So Marriage after death is, is, remarriage after death is totally a, um, legitimate, you know, even the vowels say, till death do us part. That I have made this covenant with you until, until death, um, one of us experienced that, and then, and then I am free to, to remarry again. Um, and, uh, I don't know where the passage is off the top of my head, but it talks about in heaven there is no marriage or giving in marriage. So the nature of the relationship up there, I mean, again, we don't, you know, my mom lost my dad five years, six years ago, and I know she's very much looking forward to seeing him again and to being in that. But it won't be in the way that they have known each other when they were here on earth. I don't know exactly what that will look like and um, what that will mean I, I think they'll i think other place, places in scripture seem to indicate that we'll be able to recognize each other and to you know understand that this was a person that was in my life here on earth was important to me and and um but I it think, won't but I think it there's w-
2: going to be jealousy in heaven mm.
1: <laughs> I just yeah so like if,
0: if if somebody has married you know multiple people because of death in their life i think in heaven, they're all going to love each other, and they're all going to. But it's you know, we all got the nature of the relationship is going to be focused on Jesus, and we're all going to be sharing in that together. So um, it's hard it, to comprehend it is it is compre- <laughs> it is difficult to comprehend, but yeah. I think that That's, was
3: in the earlier part that we studied where yeah, our, yeah, where, where the, the Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees was trying to trip Jesus, Jesus up. up? And said, yeah, okay, what if you married two people? You know, right? Jesus, likes. so then what about? the um, our kids.
2: I mean, are we? Are our kids? Our children on earth. Our children in heaven.
0: Again, I think like I think there's places in scripture that talk about like the we will be able to recognize those relationships and to to celebrate that there'll be some familiarity with those, but the nature of the relationship, I don't think will be like. Uh,
2: and our parents, the same thing, right? Right. Oh, I think
0: I yeah. Look yeah. <laughs> Right, I know this is be very much like I love this person and I love, him. but I think yeah. in heaven the focus is going to be like, there's our King and we are worshiping Him no and idea. and yeah, oh, like it's I yeah, have
1: no wrap our heads around right. Us. We all belong to Him. We don't yeah.
0: To so it is almost like a community of brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping Jesus. You know, and our husbands and our wives will be in there, and our our kids and our parents, and you know everybody that that identified with Jesus and 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 came to trust him as their savior, we're going to be collectively doing that together, is how I understand it. Forever. 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 It's, it's So hard,
2: hard to cool. comprehend. Yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. Well,
2: I thought we were going to have our I thought God was going to build us a house. And yeah. we're going to be with our mansions. <laughs> yeah. 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 We right, there's that, that imagery in Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Olympia, somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That
0: He will build us a house. I like to tell my wife like my mansion's going to be like next to hers. You know, like <laughs> we're going to be like hey, you know um but but actually the the imagery that that revelation gives mm-hmm. is almost more like a um I it sounds like to me like like a massive dormitory. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. is almost what it what it is the image that that
1: That's a goal. Right. That's a right. great yeah. Right. Yeah. Beige. <laughs>
0: But it's hard to even know in that to what is figurative to help us understand it, and what's like a literal depiction of how it's going to be. Yeah,
1: it, right. we we like to think more literally. Yeah, than right. Uh, uh, fantasy. Right. Right. Because like, well, it's yeah. going to be what God, whatever is best for you, is what it's going to be. Yeah. And however you can worship God the best in Jesus. Is what it's going to be. Yeah. Perfect. I always think about Jesus came back
2: with his glorified body and they recognized him. Right. Yes. Not yeah. in the first, but eventually. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, that's a good you know, mm-hmm. reference.
2: Are there any other questions that you might have that you might have?
0: I apologize for taking on difficult. It's very easy to say, let's skip that section, you know? <laughs> and I sometimes feel inclined to do so. Um, But our real life and real faith says, no, let's engage this and let's figure out what is this talking about and how do we apply this? I I would say the takeaway would be Jesus is is approaching something from the negative side of this. I think in other places, the, the takeaway is like, let's work really, really hard at our marriages. Let's live out the purpose and design behind it so that, and that takes two. And, and sometimes that's difficult when one is all about it and the other one isn't that, that, that's, you know, um, but say that that's where I think we can grow as a church and grow and sort of evangelical expressions of Christianity is we have a tendency to when the divorce is happening, look at it and sort of be judgmental and say, well, you know, isn't that sad that they didn't where we maybe need to spend more time really saying like, Hey, let's talk about what does it mean to really love our husbands, love our wives really, really well. How do we do that? And how do we invest in each other as the church in doing that?
1: I think, you know, this church, cause we've been part of it for like 44 years, had offered like marriage retreats right. and mm-hmm. seminars that were just unbelievably helpful and um to work at it and to really um, make it a priority and pray oh my goodness pray for your spouse and pray for yourself to love your spouse the way god wants you to and he answers that because i have seen marriages that i thought there's no way this one's going the distance (laughs) you know they're just too different they're just and i've seen god turn hearts Yes. Together and make a loving relationship. Um, yeah. When when the people are willing. Yeah. That you're just like no way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I've seen that too. It's, yeah. it, it's miraculous. I mean, don't it's ever. Miracle. But it happens gradually, God and God's it it arms not too short. It just um, my brother had that, and it it was, and now we realize, hey, this worked. They both worked at it. Mm-hmm. And they went back to church, and they started yes. getting involved. And you know, it's right? And it has to be—it has together. to be
0: intentional and purposeful. Yes, yes. I, I tell couples that are in premarital counseling: a great marriage does not happen on accident. <laughs> no, you don't just get lucky, Mm-mm. and like, oh, we're two similar people, and this should work out great. They like, exactly <laughs>
1: ever after a
0: great marriage happens because two people are committed to making a great marriage happen, yeah. and they do the work that's required to. Make that a reality versus, well, didn't we get lucky? And and
1: be careful not to worship your spouse. Mm. That is, you know, the counterfeit gods that, you know, you love your spouse, but don't worship them. Yeah, they're not your savior. No, no. And they will disappoint you and I will disappoint him. And it's so, it's so, yeah, deliberate. It's got to be, Lord, help me love my husband the way you want me to love him. Right. Every
0: day. I remember one time, um, <laughs> Billy Graham's wife, her, I can't know her name, Ruth, Ruth. yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked her the question, because Billy Graham traveled a lot, you know, mm-hmm. on his in preaching and doing the, and they asked her the question, like, that had to be hard, like, the whole time of his ministry, did you ever consider divorce? She said, I never considered divorce, she is. Murder, yes. yes, a couple yeah. times. That I considered, but yeah. divorce, oh, divorce, no. No, yeah. yes,
1: divorce, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Anyways, well, thank you for inviting you. me. Yeah, it's a privilege to be with you all, and I hope that was helpful. And if not, then um, no, good, Cheryl and Peggy so. will they'll yeah, correct right. everything yeah. I said wrong. And, and, <laughs> Get you steered in the right direction. Yeah. Thank you.
1: so, so much
2: Thank
0: you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You guys enjoy your day.
2: Yeah, we hope you didn't mess yours up. No, much. no.
0: Okay, good. Love, love being here with you all. Good. See you next year. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Take care.